Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 2. Mark 2. Now, if you're still learning your way around the Bible, know this, that there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis. The New Testament starts with Matthew. And so Mark is in the New Testament. Matthew, then Mark. Matthew, then Mark. This is one of my favorite encounters that takes place here in Mark 2, starting with verse 13. It says this, it says, then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. So in other words, he taught the crowds. Whoever was there, he taught them. And so as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, I've shared this before, but again, I think sometimes, and probably it may be impossible for us to understand culturally how much tax collectors were despised. Because he was a Jew who collected taxes from his own people to give to the Romans to help finance their occupation of their land. They, he was viewed as a traitor. He was viewed as a Benedict Arnold of the day. And not only did he collect the money, but he could overcharge the people. And that's how he made his living. They were wealthy souls. And so the, the Jews as a whole despised the Romans so much that when they thought of the Messiah, they thought he was going to come to throw off the yoke of occupation that, they, that the Romans had put upon them. And so here's a guy that's helping finance that occupation. So they, they despise him. I mean, he was not welcome at their, you know, at their synagogues or anything like that. If, if you've ever watched The Chosen, it kind of creates this tension that's there sometimes when the disciples find out who he was and what he did. And that's probably, that was probably real back then. It's probably a genuine thing. So Jesus is walking by and he sees this guy that I'm telling you, the religious people were having nothing to do with that day. And yet this is what happens. He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Let me say disreputable sinners. So think about this again for a minute. If you're a person and religious people want nothing to do with you, and yet you're still a social individual, well, who's going to be in your circle? Other people just like you, tax collectors, and other disreputable sinners. In other words, if they describe you that way, then, you know, it's, you're pretty good at doing bad stuff. I, you know, I don't know how else to put it. So there are other disreputable sinners. Levi invited them. Then it says this about him. It says, there were many people. Everybody say many people. Of this kind among Jesus' followers. So there are people just like these other tax collectors and these disreputable sinners. There were a lot of people just like that that followed Jesus. I mean, in reality, what it's saying is that people that were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. People that were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. Many, many, not just a few, not just some, some bystanders, some, some kind of tag-alongers. Many people of this kind that followed Jesus. It, it goes on to say this. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers but when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? 
I can't imagine why the tax collectors and the other disreputable sinners didn't want to hang out with them. I mean, I'm automatically drawn to people that refer to me as scum. I mean, so-and-so over there, you know, they called you scum. Really? Will they be my friend? I mean, you know, isn't that how we all... No, man, we don't, we don't want to connect with people that, you know, I say this, you know, we can either hang around people that, where we're celebrated or tolerated. And, you know, most of us don't go where we're tolerated, right? We want to be people that celebrate with us, you know, and they're, they're happy to see us. I'm like, you're my people. I mean, when Jeff Foxworthy came out and people were laughing at his stuff, I'm like, that's funny, that's my family. I mean, that's what we, you know, and it's like, because they were my people, you know, and so, so we don't know who Jeff Foxworthy is. Anyway, uh, but... But it's one of those things that, that you know, they, they said, why, they are asking the disciples, why does he hang out with such scum? And it goes on to say this, when Jesus, Jesus heard this, in other words, they're talking to the disciples, but Jesus responded, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, he didn't say those who are righteous, but those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Now, this passage dispels so many things. First of all, it says this, that there's a requirement on my end to have an acknowledgement that I'm broken without Jesus. Jesus didn't hang out with the tax collectors and disreputable sinners because he wanted to affirm that they're okay. He wasn't like, well, yeah, you guys are fine. I, I don't want to be judgmental or harsh. That's not, no, I mean... There was something about the way that he hung out with them and wanted to see real transformation take place in their life that even though he wasn't like, you just, you just be who you are. That's not what he was doing because he referred to them he compa or he compared them to somebody that's sick and needs a doctor. Well, the doctor doesn't show up and I'm like, hey, doctor, I'm really sick. He goes, good, good. You just, you just be comfortable in your sickness. No, man, he wants to try to get me well. And he said, those that are, you know, so those that are whole don't need a physician, but those that are sick. And not those that think they're righteous, but those that know. In other words, so in other words, we can be incredibly broken, but be comfortable with our lifestyle and what we're doing and the decisions we're making and that type of thing and think we're okay. We're going to miss out on who Jesus is and what he wants to do for us. So he wasn't saying that what, you know, it doesn't matter what I do. He was saying, that in my doing, I have to have an awareness that it's a reflection of my lostness without him, of my brokenness without him. And because of that, that's why I need him. Now, here's a little secret that a lot of people don't know we know. That applies to religious people and non-religious people, church people and non-church people. All of us fit in that category. All of us have stuff in our life that's broken, and because of that, we need Jesus. And so as I talk about our vision as a church, the very first part of who we are, in other words, this is who we are as a church, is that Cedar Point is a story-changing place. It's a story-changing place. It's going to be at our core. It's something we're going to embrace. And in order to be that, here's the first thing about it. Number one is this, is that in order to be a story-changing place, we will love the people in front of us. Whoever God puts in front of us, we're going to love them. Now, here, there's a few things about love that, you know, th I put this down, that loving the people in front of you is messy and it can be uncomfortable. Whoever God puts in front of me, if I love them, it, it, it's going to be messy. And it can be uncomfortable. I put this down as well, 
that it, it confuses people because it doesn't, for them it doesn't make sense. It confused the Pharisees. Why, are you, why is he hanging out with them? And Jesus told them, these guys realize they're broken. They're not showing up to your place because they think they're okay. They're not showing up to your place because they're not loved there. They show up here with me because they know they're broken, and I know they're broken, but they know I love them. And his love for them was not a stay the way you are love, but it's a you can be transformed by my presence love. And so, if we love people, so here's another thing, and I put down some things here from my own life personally, and I'll just say it for us as a church. If we love, if, if, if we love people that have hurt you, we are not betraying you. If sometimes in my own life personally, one, I, I've wrote, written down some values in my own life, and one of the values I've written down is, is that I'm going to love whoever's in front of me. Whoever's in front of me, they're standing in front of me, I'm going to love them. There's not a person that's in here that Jesus didn't die for. And so there's some people that haven't received that, and that matters. But I'm going to love whoever's in front of me. And sometimes if you see me loving somebody that's in front of me and maybe they've hurt you, you feel as if I'm betraying you. Doesn't he know what they've done to me? Doesn't he know who they are, what they've done? Well, I may know some things, but I don't know everything. But, you know, in fairness to them, they don't know everything I've done, and it's not all pretty. So... If I love somebody that's hurt you, it's, it's not me betraying you. It's not, it's not me saying that what they did to you is okay. It's me just loving them in spite of what they've done. Just like God loves me in spite of what I've done. So if I love people in front of me, it doesn't mean that I agree with everything they do and believe. My loving them is not affirmation of the decisions they're making. It's not saying they're okay any more than Jesus being in the presence tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Matter of fact, he said, I'm like a doctor to sick people. I'm here to help them get better. I'm here to help those that realize that, hey, my life's broken. Without Jesus, it's going to continue being a mess. I'm, that's who I'm here to help. If you think you're righteous and you don't need Jesus, then I'm probably not for you. That's what he's saying. And so for us to be a, a, for us to be a story-changing church, we have to love the people in front of us. That From day one, this church was founded. It was based upon the reality of, and I believe God gave me this as a God thought years ago, I, I want you to love people that nobody's standing in front of to love. There's nobody standing in line to love. I want you, that, that's, that's who I want you to be. And, and, you know, and even as we, you know, we first started as a church, you know, we, again, we worshiped on the other side of this hallway is that, that little place where you see tables set up sometimes. That was our, that was our worship center. That's where we did this. And, you know, I mean, like right there, like there was a wall and that wall had an opening and that opening was the doorway that you could walk into and go to the restroom. It, it was a classy, a classy thing. And so here's, uh, and, and it was just one of those places and, and we didn't own this whole center like we do now. Now we own the whole building and the land and that kind of thing. We didn't then. And, you know, so there are elements of it that I know for some people were, were kind of scary, but I always knew this, that if you were afraid of church, or didn't trust church, there was not anything about us meeting here that caused, you know, I thought that caused you to, to it didn't validate that fear or concern. It was a safe place. Now, if you were raised in church like me, I remember some people, this one couple, they told me when they pulled in the parking lot, the husband looks at his wife and he goes, 
are you sure you have the right address? I mean, you know, before we go into whatever this is, I want to make sure that it's the right address. Well, but I just know this, for us to be a story-changing place, whoever walks through those doors has to know that they matter, that, that not only does God love them, but we love them. I think that's part of the challenge is sometimes people have understood that, that God loves them, but they question whether the people that they come in and worship with, do they love them? And so for us to say that, so, so that means it's going to be messy at times. That means that sometimes it's, you know, that, you know, there, there, if you haven't been criticized for who you love at some point in your life, you're not doing it right. And so we, you know, we, we have to do that. We have to be willing to do that. And, and, um, and, you know, it's risky. It's risky. And, and so we're, we're going to be accused of giving too much mercy. We're going to be accused of giving too many chances. I'm, I'm okay with that. If we're going to miss it, I would rather be the place that went one step further than we should have. Than the place that we never get taken advantage of because the slightest thing, you're out. We don't love you. We're going to close our heart on you. And not because we don't make mistakes too, but just ours are more accepted. So, so in this place, that we're going to, to be a story-changing place, whoever comes through these doors, whoever comes through these doors, whatever they bring with them in their story, that we want to love like Jesus loves. Now, again, his love is not a stay-the-way-you-are love. His love is, I love you just the way that you are, but I love you too much to let you stay that way. And so that's what we're called to do. Number one is this, is that we will love the people in front of us. Look at number two, if you would. Go with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. You're in Mark, and so 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament, and so it's after Mark is Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Now, this was written by a guy named Paul. At one time, he was referred to as Saul. He was a Jewish Pharisee, and he despised Jesus, and he despised Christians and the church. And so he went around having them arrested, having Christians arrested. He broke up families. Uh, he was consenting to the death of some of the early church leaders, and yet he has this encounter with Jesus, and his story has changed. It's changed so much that he's called to reach the Gentiles. In other words, again, what's a Gentile? Anybody that's not a Jew, he's called to reach them. And so, you know, he takes on a Gentile name, which is Paul, and he begins to go out and minister and tells people about Christ. His story was incredibly changed, so much so that that encounter he had with Jesus where he surrendered and let Jesus change his story, that we're still being impacted today by the change that that brought about. And so he wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. Now, Corinth was not a Jewish city. It was a Gentile city. It was incredibly pagan. There were all sorts of pagan temples around there, a lot of things, just a lot of sexual sin going on, just a lot of things. And so Paul takes, G he shares Jesus with the people there, a bunch of them get saved. And so now he starts a church and it's beginning to have an impact on the city and on the culture. And he writes this letter and some of it has elements of correction in it. Some of it has elements of, you know, of doctrine in it and that type of thing. But then also some of it are elements of instruction of what should matter to them as a church. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, <clears throat> verse 19, he said this. He said, even though I am a free man, everybody say free man. With no master, I have become a slave. So as legally, according to the government and how they view me, I'm free. I don't have obligations that a slave would have because a slave has to think, they can only think only about their masters. What they want doesn't matter. 
They have to think about their master only. But, you know, as far as the government is concerned, as far as culture is concerned, I'm free. And so he said, with no, a free man with no master, but he said, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. So there's, you know, legally, by law, if you see me, I'm known as a free man. But I made a decision that I'm going to become a slave to Christ so I can bring many to him. In other words, I'm not going to think just about myself. I'm going to think about what impacts people that we're trying to reach because I'm going to make decisions that will have an appeal to people we're trying to reach. And so I will just tell you this much, you know, that, and this is not unique to us. There are other churches that do this, but I'm talking about who we are. So, um, we, you know, that there are things that we do and things that we don't do, not necessarily because that's what I prefer, but we do those things because we want to bring many to Christ. Just like Paul said right here. I, 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 what does a free man think of? What he wants. What I want to do, what, what I like, what I don't like. What does a slave think of? What his master wants. So Paul said, he said, look, man, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a free man, but I've become a slave so I can bring many to Christ. And then he goes on to explain it this way. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. In other words, he said, even though I'm no longer a Jew, I'm a Christ follower now. He said, you know, when I get around Jewish people, I'm not going to sit there and eat, you know, bacon in front of them. Because, you know, I, I don't want to offend them by just, you know, ignoring what, you know, what they believe in that type of thing, that, that acknowledging that and following by that while I'm with them is not a violation of what I believe about Jesus. I'm doing that not because I think it's necessary for my relationship with him. I'm doing it because I want to reach them. In other words, there are certain things that it's perfectly okay for me to do, but I want to do it at your expense spiritually. So he said, when I was with the Jews, I became as a Jew. He said uh, to Christ, he said, so I, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground. Everybody say common ground. In other words, he's not looking for the areas that he can differ in and hold those up and hope that he can be offensive as soon as possible. So I'm just going to say something. I, I'm pretty sure it's going to twist some people. And I'm not sorry. And so, and I'm okay, but I, I will tell you this much. I'm okay if you disagree with me. I still love you. I think you're really wrong, but I still love you. I'm, I'm very passionate politically. There are things that I believe firmly as a believer and as a citizen of this country. But there's a reason why you don't hear politics talked about from up here. Because I'm not trying to get you to change your party affiliation. I'm not more concerned with who you vote for than who you live with eternally. And so that's why that's the emphasis for me. Now, that doesn't mean that if somebody else does it different, that they're wrong. I, I'm not their master. They have to do what's their conviction and stuff like that. But we don't hear those things come from me. It's not because it doesn't matter to me or I don't care. 
But I firmly believe that the problem in our country is not a political problem, it's a spiritual problem. And it's not fixed by anybody in office, it's fixed by Jesus. And as we surrender to him, then these other things that are symptomatic of our relationship with him, they begin to change. And so that was free. None of the first service didn't get that. And so I've got my head down, let me look at the Bible, now's your time to walk out. So anyway, uh, um, something about this message brings that out of me. Anyway, so... When I'm with the Gentiles, I don't follow the Jewish law. I, too, live apart from that law. And let me just say this. And I'm okay that, that if that's part of your calling, that you're convicted and you do that. I just want you to know why it doesn't take place up here. So, anyway. Okay. Anyway, so, but, but I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who, who am weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. So he was saying that, look, he said, man, he said, in order, he said I, I'm, I'm a servant. In other words, I, I don't get what I want. Now, I, you know, and I will tell you that, that in our country, and maybe it's this way all over the world, but in my, the things I've dealt with, I've, I've, I've been in church all my life, and there's this mindset sometimes that seems predominant in a lot of Christians, and I would call it a consumer mindset. In other words, they want what they want because it ministers to them and it's their thing. And, and, and I know that there's this connection that, that we have to grow and things have to connect with us personally. But, you know, we're called as Christians to lay aside some of our preferences because it's not about me. It's about Jesus and the people that he died for. And, yes, I'm one of those people that he died for, but he didn't save me so that I could consume my life with my own desires and my own pleasures and my own things. He saved me so I could be just like him and give myself to a lost and dying world just the way that he did. And so we as a church at times are going to do things different than maybe what you grew up with, than what I grew up with. Because we're looking for common ground. I've shared this before, but it's the best example I can think of that in the book of Acts, Paul, when he was preaching to Gentiles, he was preaching at one service, and there were a bunch at a place called Mars Hill, and there were a bunch of Greeks and a bunch of Stoics. They were really the intellectuals of their day, and, and they debated different things. And so, as that tends to be in that crowd, you know, they have all of these things that represent these different points of view, different thoughts of life, and there's all of these statues up there that, that are different idols for different religions, kind of acknowledging them. And you know, a lot of us, man, if we'd have been there, we'd have taken that as an opportunity in a moment to talk about the evils of idolatry. And, and we would have been true in our content, correct in our content. The Inos Paul didn't do that. He turned around and looked and he said, do you see that one right there that says the unknown God? I want to talk to you about him. In other words, he looked for common ground, something that they had that would build a bridge into their culture and connect with their heart and use that as an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. I knew that would excite you. So here's, and so for us to be a story-changing place, we have to find common ground to reach people. My, I, you know, many of you are familiar with him. I, when he was alive, I shared this as an example. But in 2006, we started Cedar Point Church. My uncle, my dad's brother, lived in Tulsa, and he said, "If you start a church, I'll come there." And I love my uncle, but I knew this. My uncle, he, you know, they sang, and I'm not being critical of this. this is, there's some things that are beautiful about this. The church he went to sang out of a hymn book. His father, my grandfather, led worship from a hymn book and a piano, and not the electric kind. He rang the church bell as a kid at Ottawa Indian Cemetery Baptist, man. I mean, that's where, he, or Ottawa Indian Baptist Church is what, you know, he rang it as a kid. A year or two before he died, we went there and had church there one Sunday morning with the congregation. It was there just for my uncle just to 
kind of relive some of his moments. But he told me, he said, I want to come to church there. And I'm like, Uncle, I love you, but man, you live in Tulsa. He was 75 at the time, 74, 75. And we're not going to do the music you grew up with. I didn't tell him this, but in my mind, I thought, he's not coming here. He'll be a few times. And that doesn't make him a bad person. He loves Jesus. He showed up. He kept coming. And he kept coming. And he kept coming. And he was saying to me sometimes, like, I wish we could do a hymn every now and then. I get it, Uncle. I like those two. He told Jake one time, he said, Jake, I don't want the only time that ever him has ever done in this church is at my funeral. Could we do one before I die? And I think Jake did one before he died. And so, but he, he kept coming because he knew this. This is not about me. People have said before, do you understand that, that people that are older tend, tend to do most of the giving and the financing of the church? I get that. But do you understand, I assume that the reason why you do that is so that we can reach people that Jesus died for. That's what I'm hoping that you believe in. And I mean, you know, if, if that's not your reason why you give and the reason why you're giving so you can have things that are your way, this isn't your church. You're not going to like it here. I, I love you. I'm not trying to run you off, but I, I think it's unfair to you to be dishonest and lead you on a belief. You just keep giving. At some point, we'll become what you want. No, that's not going to happen. We have a mission that's been given to us. I didn't create it. Jesus gave it to us. And part of it is to create disciples. I get that. And we want to do that. That's why we have devotions. That's why we have life groups. That's why we have different things. You know, and there will be an element of, of disciple making in the message. But there's also going to be an element of messages that connect with people that church has not been their thing. When they come here, that we're looking for common ground to connect with them. I've met people that don't have a relationship with Jesus that care about their marriages. So we talk about marriage using the scripture. Because I found a book that has an answer. You know what? Even though it was written over 2,000 years ago. It still helps my marriage if I love Tina the way Christ loved the church. And so we have a book that has answers for the things that even unsaved people struggle with. And so this is going to be a place that we look for common ground. And again, it's not us affirming culture. Culture's lost. When I was a kid growing up, the loudest voice in this culture was the Bible. Today, it's secular humanism. And it's from the pits of hell. But we have to understand that you combat that with the truth spoken in love. And that we love people where they are like Jesus did. We love, he loves us where we are, but too much to leave us that way. So my uncle for 16 years drove from Tulsa. And I rode with him sometimes, man. I mean, it got my prayer life in order. I was like, oh God, I feel like I got so much more to do like this. Just to get me there, and I'll never get in a vehicle with him again where he's driving, you know, and I mean, it was that, that kind of stuff. I, but I went over to his house one day, he just had surgery, and it was extensive. I mean, it was one of those things, you know, I, I go over there, and he wanted to show me his, like, seven-inch scar, and I, I don't know why, I didn't want to see it, but he, he had this huge scar, and, and uh, his, you know, and Ruth's wife was putting medicine on it and stuff like that. And before I left, he said, oh, wait just a minute, and he got up, and he went over his table, and he wrote out his tithe check. And I'm like, I'm not here to get that from you. He's no, no, I want to give this to you. No one showed up and goes, hey, I know you just got sick, but I'm here to collect your tithe. I mean, that wasn't one. <laughs> but just who he was, that, that to a church that wasn't doing the music that he listened to. I got in his car, and he was still listening to cassettes and eight tracks. But he'd show up here every Sunday and listen to a song that he didn't know the words to. Because he loved Jesus and the people that Jesus wanted to reach. 
That's what happens at a story-changing place. That's what happens at a story-changing place. It's just... That means sometimes the parking lot's going to be crowded. That means sometimes you're going to be able to sit where you normally sit. And it's okay because we're talking about the eternity of other human beings. This isn't a concert where we're looking for front row seats and we're looking for every opportunity. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being on the front row. I'm glad that you're hungry enough that you want to be on the front row. But it is a place that says it's okay when things don't go the way that I want. And so I wrote these things down because, because of that. Why do we have the style of music we do? Like Paul said, to bring many to Christ. Why do we have the lighting we have to bring many to Christ? Why don't we do things like we did when I was a kid because we want to bring many to Christ? Why do we not do child care but children's ministry to bring many to Christ? So if we don't do child care, we do children's ministry because we want to bring many to Christ. The reason why, like, after the 1202 service, we serve food, so that's just such a waste of money. But we know for some people that's, that gives them one more reason to come. We want to do that because we bring many to Christ. What do I need to serve? Why can't I just show up and just be a spectator? Because we want to bring many to Christ. Why will you may sing even though I can't? Because we want to bring many to Christ. <laughs> and so, you know, that, that when we show up with my agendas, what role do I play in using my gift to worship Jesus in order to allow many to be brought to Christ? Then you get it. Then you get it. There's a word that measures our maturity more than any other word. No. More people leave over the word no than any other thing because they didn't get their way. You know what it tells me? They've made it about themselves. We don't have to, but we want to make ourselves subject to Christ, a servant to him so that it's not about me, so we can bring many to Christ because we know that everybody that walks through those doors, Jesus died for let me show this last point, and I'll be quick, Matt, uh, which to a preacher means nothing. Look at Matthew chapter 4. It's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 says this. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. In other words, this wasn't their hobby. It's what they did for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father. Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Here's the reality that whoever I set my heart to follow will have an influence on me and will transform an area in my life. And Jesus was telling these guys that had spent their lives in a family business to fish. He said, if you're going to begin to follow me, this will no longer be the emphasis of your life. The emphasis of your life will be you're going to be to fish for people. And this is what I've discovered. Number three is this. When we follow Jesus, he gives us a heart for, for their souls, for people's souls. When we follow him, he gives us a heart for humanity's souls. Now, I'm very grateful for my upbringing. And I wanted Cedar Point to be, I, I was on Sunday morning, we would go to the Lutheran church when I was a kid, and my dad would go to Pentecostal tent meetings at night because he loved the music. And so those are two, you know, just you talk about two distinct differences in how they worship the same Jesus that was there. 
My mom loved the liturgy of the Lutheran church. My dad loved the fact that they, they dared to have a guitar on the platform in the Pentecostal tent meeting. And so that's what I would do as a kid. Well, then as I got, so on Sunday morning, that was a regular thing to go to the Lutheran church. And I was grateful for it. When I got in high school, there was a guy named Mike Thomas that was a youth pastor that came and began to just passionately talk about our relationship with God. And it impacted me so much that it really had a transformation in my life. And so on Sunday night and Wednesday night, I started going to First Baptist over here in town. And at that time, and I'm sure there still is, there was such an emphasis on reaching people, the unchurched, the lost, that it impacted me. That from that moment on, that I, I, could, I could never be just uh, indifferent to people's spiritual condition. Do they have Jesus? Where will they spend eternity? Those things began to matter to me. That's why in every service that we give an opportunity for people to reach out. From that moment on, that, that as my relationship with Jesus grew closer, that I was transformed, that I was no longer unaware or indifferent to their spiritual condition. Jesus told them, if you follow me, I'm going to teach you how to catch people. And so we have to be a place as we follow Jesus that cares about people's souls. It's one of the reasons why we have a next generation church, why we have a ministry that invests in our babies and our toddlers and our pre-Kers and our elementary that, you know, many times on the weekend, we have over 300 kids from the age of zero to 12 showing up to church here. It's incredible. Wednesday night, we did an event. They had 270 in students. And so we want to be that place. And again, that's messy. But there's something worth it in the first service this morning because some of my grandkids come to multiple services. They were on the front row with, with uh, their, their parents. And I, I looked at one time they were worshiping God. I see this morning, you know, my, my son David and my daughter-in-law, Kyla, I love them. They bring my grandkids to church and they're here and they serve. And I know this, if we're going to be a story-changing place that has a heart for souls, that we understand this, that most people give their life to Jesus before they're 16 years old. And when we fish... We want to go where they're biting. That's where they're biting at. And so we'll be that place. And again, that's messy. And it can make you feel like we're indifferent to you. No, I'm hoping that you're mature enough that you care about kids that are your kids' age and your grandkids' age and your grandkids' age, that you're not indifferent to the plight of their generation and where they are, and that they're going to be lost without Jesus, and there's going to be a world without you or I in it, and we have to make sure that they're ready to steward it and take care of it so that the world will hear about Jesus as opposed to being indifferent to them because we want to go to a place that plays the songs that I grew up with. And so we're called to reach the lost like that. So when we follow Jesus, he gives us a heart for their souls. He leads us to people. Four people brought their friend to Jesus and he healed them. The woman at the well who apparently was a loner because she went in the middle of the day when she encountered Jesus, she was so changed. She went and told the town, come see him. And they all showed up. Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see for yourself. Something takes place in our heart as we follow him. And for Cedar Point to be a story-changing place, we have to always care about the condition of people's souls and where they'll spend eternity. I go to the restaurants I go to for two reasons. One is I like the food, but also I like the people that work there. I don't want to be indifferent to them. I want to reach out to them. So when they have issues, you know what I do? I tell them, look, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to draw attention to ourselves. And I'll be, make it very brief, but can I pray for you? Every time they say yes. Every time. I've never had one look at me go, no. And often they're moved emotionally. Because God does something in them in that moment. I just love them. Me, imperfect. God still uses me. He still uses you. still uses us. 
So this is who we are. This is who we are. People don't like this, they're not going to like us. But if this is who God is, if you realize this is who he's called you to be, that you'll fit here. I want you to just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I want us just to spend a moment with God and just, like mine is as we do this, let, your, let him stir your heart for a minute. And if anybody comes to your mind that has never walked with the Lord that you know in your life, begin to pray for them. Or maybe at one time they walk closely with him and, and they're just distant from him right now. Pray for them. Let's just spend a moment with God.